Welcome to The Table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. from John 1, 6 through 8, and 19 through 28. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. This is a testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then he said to him, Who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight, the way of the, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had sent him from the Pharisees. They asked him, Why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. He took, they, this took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Jesus, I first of C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The main characters, these four children, they stumble into this cold, dark place called Narnia. Narnia is this land where it's always dark and it's always winter, and the peace and the hope of Christmas never seem to come. And and the one visible glimmer of peace and hope in Narnia is this lamppost, a light that shines on in the darkness of that cold place. 
And so when the children go and come between this London suburb and in the land called Narnia, whenever they see that light of that lamppost, they know that they have come home. One of the things that marks this season, the Advent season, is the waiting. The waiting for Christmas, the longing for Christ to come, for the light to to once again come into the world and dispel the darkness and usher in some sense of peace in the midst of all of the chaos and obligation and things to do and make and finish and take care of, all these balls that we keep in the air, right? But, but But that's what's also really hard about this season. It's hard for us, those of us whose lives pulse with activity and production and energy and busyness, it's really hard for us to wait. Today's gospel lesson tells us that John the Baptist, too, knows what it means to wait. John does not appear to be all that impatient but, but the people that were around him, they, they are. Did you hear it? The priests and the Levites and the local clergy, they surround John and they put him to the test. Who are you? And John's best answer is borrowed from the prophet Isaiah. He says, I, I'm a voice. I'm, I'm a voice, one preparing the way for the Lord. He is giving testimony to to the light that is coming. The fullness of grace and truth, the light that will shine on in the darkness and and not be overcome. And and yet the light has, has not yet come. The peace has not yet descended. The world is still dark, and so the anger and the frustration in the voices of, of John's interrogators, it, it's understandable. These aren't bad people surrounding John. We sometimes give them a bad rep. They're, they're, they're good people. They have been waiting for the Messiah too. The, the one who is to come and redeem the people of Israel and set this reign of lasting peace. If, if John is in fact the Messiah, they want to know that. If John knows anything about when or who this Messiah is, they, they want an answer from John. They're, they're sick and they're tired of all the pain of the world. They, they, they despair of the crushing poverty around them and the oppression and, and the politics of the Roman Empire and the brokenhearted people who show up at their offices day in and day out, week in and week out. The people who surround them are not okay right now. If the light is to come and the peace is to descend, they want, they want it to come and descend now. John says this light will be the fullness of grace and truth, the dawning of God's advent reign in Jesus Christ, a light that will shine in the darkness and never go out, a light of peace and hope in the face of a suffering world. That's what John points to. Advent is about the waiting, but, but it is also about the longing and the yearning for the hope of a new day, for the, for the reign of peace that is to come. And like I said, we're not that great at waiting. And so often in the waiting, especially around Christmas, we try to conjure for ourselves some false sense of sentimental peace. 
that will make us feel better and relieve that angst of the waiting. And there are so many ways to do this around around Christmas, right? So many harmless, festive, wonderful ways to fill up on the wonder of the season. Sending smiley Christmas cards and basking in all the light displays and ice skating and cocoa and caroling and cookie making. Sometimes as a means to escape, though, the, the angst of the waiting, the reality of the darkness. Early on in, in the show Ted Lasso, there is a moment during a practice or a training <laughs> between Sam and Ted that has just, around this show, has just exploded in popularity. There you can get shirts and coffee mugs. You can get all the things with this on it. Sam has an unusually rough day at training, and, and he's so frustrated, and, and he's beating himself up. And some of his less-than-graceful teammates, Jamie, give him some crap for it. And Ted pulls him aside and drops a line that has become one of the key quotes of Ted Lasso. Give it a watch. So we'll get some flowers, because this spot here is where Sam died. <laughs> Very sad. Boy, <laughs> walk away, you little prick. All right, Grandad, keep your wig on. <laughs> Thanks, Roy. Yeah, you're good. Hey, Sam, come here a sec. <sighs> Coach, I'm, I'm sorry. You know what the happiest animal on Earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? No. It's got a 10-second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam. Yeah? Yeah, you got it. Go ahead. Be a goldfish. Forget it and move on from it. And gosh, who doesn't love that quote? It's a beautiful sentiment, right? But we're not goldfish. Which is to say we, we can't move on. Our brains, they don't work that way. And as cute as this is, as t-shirt worthy as it is. We know it's a fantasy world. Because the, the fears and, and the failures of life, they in fact stay with us. They weigh on us and it's how our brains are made. We can't forget and easily move on. It, it's like all the sentimental Christmas ways we try to escape all the waiting. And out of all those beautiful moments in Ted Lasso, all the poignant quotes of this coach, the world clung to this one as this living testament to the fact that we do our daggone best to forget and escape the darkness and try to make this our definition of peace. This is what is wonderful about the complexity of this show, though, Ted Lasso. No one, no one is a finished product in this show. We, we realize that Ted cannot live up to his own coaching here. That Ted, like all of us, 
is not in fact a goldfish. Paralyzed by the weight of his divorce and unresolved anger and, and pain of the tragic loss of his father in a tragic way at a young age, we begin to get a glimpse of how Ted is haunted in the darkness by the things that he cannot forget. But one evening while the team is out celebrating at a karaoke bar, love karaoke bars, the song that Rebecca sings, it triggers something in Ted. And we get acquainted with the darkness that even Ted cannot escape. I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm sorry. It's okay. You're having a panic attack. Just breathe. I'm going crazy. No more than anyone else. There we go. Slept beard. No, I went back to the hotel. Of course. Okay. You just get home safe. Okay, thank you. All right. Thank you. 
this month, this this week even, when we scurry about buying gifts and, and make our our final charitable contributions of the year and put up our Christmas decorations and build sentimental moments together, memories around gingerbread and sugar cookies, we somehow become more attuned to the world around us. We can't help it. During these long days of December, the world around us, if we allow it, can, can appear even, even more fragile and, and delicate and broken than usual. Human service organizations report record numbers of volunteers and donations in the days leading up to Christmas. And, and, and in some sense, it seems silly that that's the case, that the homeless are still homeless in July, right? And the, and the cold are, are, are colder even in February, and the elderly won't be any younger when March arrives. And the hospitals are filled with the sick every month of the year. But it's silly. But, but, but it's not. Because at Christmas, we who are normally hard-edged become more tender. And our, and our hearts, they bleed more for the pain of others and for the fragile spaces in, in our communities and around the world and in our, our families and in our friendships where peace is longed for and never found. It, it, has, it has been a dark two years. And yet, and yet every year is a dark year in its own way. And, and each year at this time, we wait in the darkness, straining our eyes for the lamppost to, to shine the way home for us, searching for, for that Christmas peace. When John the Baptist's audience presses against him and puts him to the test, he, he doesn't know what shape the peace to come, the hope to come will take. He, he only offers a word, a, an image for us to feast on. It will be a light that will never go out, he says. Uh, but with, with the advantage of history, every Christmas we, we now know more than John. We wait like John and yet we know what the light will be. Madeline L'Angle tells this story about her daughter uh, who may be about three or four years old. She's learning to sleep in her own room. And the little girl would often wake up in the middle of the night and, and, and make her way through the dark to her mom's bed and climb in and wrap her arms around her mom, terrified in the loneliness and in the darkness. And so one night, Langle, um, frustrated, <laughs> frustrated with her, her daughter's skittishness in the middle of the night, she offers some counsel trying to give her daughter some confidence and, and, and teach her self-reliance. And she says, honey, when, whenever you're scared, whenever you're scared, just simply pray to God and God will protect you. God will always take care of you. God will be with you in the darkness. But this little girl just looked at her mom and said, mommy, that's all fine and, and good, but I, I need God to have some skin on him. John's peace, John's hope it is in the God of Israel, is Isaiah's God, who has fulfilled past promises and who has promised to redeem the world, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to bring liberty to the oppressed, to give peace and rest that passes all understanding. 
John and Isaiah together are, are, are giving testimony to the peace and hope of the coming Messiah. And the God we know will come to us in the flesh of a little baby, Jesus Christ, the God with skin on. I, I listened to a podcast recently that featured a, a psychologist at this major research university who said that the, the single greatest key to living a healthy life is staying optimistic. If you're just optimistic, that's it. Optimists, she said, have far less stress. They have better marriages, healthier diets. They exercise more. Optimists generally believe things are, are, are getting better and humanity is improving and, and, and the world's problems are being solved. We've, we've even discovered that optimists, they tend to live longer than other people. And that's what this, the psychologist said. And, and when I heard this podcast, I thought... I don't imagine John the Baptist and Jesus were optimists. They both died at 33. Christian hope is fundamentally different from optimism. Christian hope is fundamentally different from optimism. Did you know that? Optimism is often what Ted Lasso is most known for. These kind of pithy, cute little quotes that Ted drops, like, be a goldfish. Forget, move on, perk up, buttercup. Life is smiley and shiny, and all you have to do is ignore or, or, or forget the darkness. Act like it's not there. But, but this is not at all, all, it's not at all the peace that Ted Lasso actually offers. It's not at all the peace that Jesus offers. In, in in Ted's lowest moment, Re Rebecca offered him the comfort and, and understanding that he most needed, which we learn is ever reciprocal between, between the two of them. In moments where, where Rebecca comes face to face with the cruelty of her ex-husband and, and, and the darkness that still surrounds her as she recovers from, from, a, from a toxic marriage, and in a battle of a divorce, Ted is there for her. And, and in this very, very important scene, Ted gives us another, way more realistic, way more Jesus view of what Advent peace, what Christian peace looks like, feels like, sounds like. Start to be friends again. Especially since Bex and I are going to be sitting with you every week in that owner's box. I'm not going every week. <laughs> well, I am. And um, every week when they shove a camera in my face and ask me how I think you're doing, I will tell them it'll be relentless. <clears throat> so, Rupert, y'all take your darts over here pretty seriously, huh? That we got here. Hey, there it is. Do you like dots, Ted? Oh, they're okay. I'm more of a, you know, a cornhole man myself. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. How about a game? I mean, we could, you know, maybe wager, say, ten thousand pounds. Well, as my doctor told me when I got addicted to fettuccine Alfredo, that's a little rich for my blood. <laughs> uh, how about this? If you win, I'll let you pick the starting lineup of the last two games of the season. 
But if I win, you can't go anywhere near the owner's box, at least not while Rebecca's still in charge. Ted, what the hell are you doing? Well, I believe some folks call it white knighting, but I don't know, I'm just following my gut here. It's no, okay, so, no, go ahead. What do you think? You're on. Okay. Uh, double in, double out. Whatever you say, Rupert Dupes, yeah. Just let me know if I'm winning or losing, all right? <laughs> oh, I forgot I had these on me. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait a second. I forgot I'm left-handed. Get in. Shall I be giving you the lineup card now, Ted? I shall be putting your Bassania back on defence where he belongs. That's exactly what I said, didn't I? No, no, it's not all Ted's fault. My ex-wife's the one who brought the hillbilly to our shores. Hey! Better manners when I'm holding a dart. Please. Hmm. Mate, what do I need to win? Two triple twenties and a bullseye. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Mm. You know, Rupert, guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day, I was driving my little boy to school, and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. And I like that. So I get back in my car, and I'm driving to work. And all of a sudden, it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me, not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out, and so they judged everything, and they judged everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me. Who I was had nothing to do with it. Because <laughs> if they were curious, they would ask questions. You know? Questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? <laughs> Which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 to I was 16 when he passed away. Barbecue sauce. Be curious and not judgmental. Christian peace, Christian hope, it's, it's fundamentally different from optimism. Christian hope is a gift. It's a gift from God rooted in the story of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Optimism is just the story of what we desire to accomplish ourselves uh, or our, our confidence in this vague generality-like forward progress or, or the age-old belief that more money equals more meaning in life or, or better exam grades will bring about a, a deeper sense of self-worth. There there's nothing wrong with being cheerful and positive like Ted Lasso, but, but, but Christian peace... Christian hope is distinctly different from, from cheeriness or, or just a positive attitude. It's this kind of peace that reigns in the darkness like a lamppost in the night. Not scrutinizing and judging the darkness. Not ignoring the darkness, but, but standing curious of what is to come. Curious of what God has in store. Curious of what light shines in the darkness even now. 
Christian hope locks its, its, its steely eyes on the chaos and devastation of the world around it and readily acknowledges that life may not be peaceful. Christian hope does not, does not bury its head in yuletide cheer and artificial lights, but like an advent wreath, glowing stronger and stronger, brighter and brighter each week. This kind of peace, this kind of hope pushes its, its way into the brokenness of the world, clearing a path in the wilderness so that the true light might, might burst into the darkness. When Jesus begins his ministry in Nazareth, the, the first sermon that he ever preaches much like John the Baptist today, he, he preaches straight from the mouth of Isaiah, grounded in the skin-on promises of God. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has called me to preach good news to the poor and to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. This peace that, that lives in the curiosity of what can be. And then Jesus adds, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus says, it, it is my life, my words, my salvation. I, I am the peace. I am the hope. So stay curious. I offer this to you in the name of God, our Father, in the name of Christ, his Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Jesus.